From the 7.30 The Game studios in Uptown Charlotte, welcome to the second Yellow Soccer Show. 7.30 The Game, your place for all things Charlotte. Now the host, here's Jason Bailey and Brad Barnett. Welcome to a special episode of the Second Yellow Soccer Show. I have brought in someone who has some very strong views about the NISA interview that we recently posted. Tim, how are you doing today? Pretty well, sir. How about yourself? Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I'm glad you can make it. So, Tim, pronounce your last name for all of us. Blah Kiki. And um, I'm up here in Asheville, and I do the You're Smarter Than Us podcast uh, found on Anchor and uh, iTunes and all your favorite platforms. And what's your Twitter handle? Uh, your underscore smarter. Fantastic. So um, you have shared, you know, you prior to the recording, you sent over a, a laundry list of questions. And then, you know, through the Soccer and Sweet Tea Slack, we've been going back and forth. You know, you have some pretty strong views about it. You are an MPSL guy on the men's side of things. And obviously NISA is, you know, I think some folks were hoping that NISA and MPSL could kind of combined forces but prior to the recording um that you listened to with uh in nisa commissioner bob watkins what were your feelings about nisa so nisa's always kind of held a uh, it it's kind of been that untouchable idol on a pedestal that uh when peter wilt kind of put out his manifesto and Man, it must have been like late 2017, like October or so. He kind of laid out what he wanted NISA to be. And he really outlined what a lot, a lot of people who have been um, not impressed with the USL model, definitely not impressed with the MLS model, uh, just just not not excited about the direction American soccer had been going in. Will really laid out a, a a platform that people could get excited about. It, it was going to be alternative. It wasn't going to be connected to any other uh, uh, pyramids or models, a uh, new pyramid. Uh, it was going to try to connect academies and foreign clubs, an open system. I think he even mentioned something like seven different tiers and eventually like NPSL was going to be involved and NISA and you can go up and down. It was pushing for training and solidarity payments. Had a, It even had like a, a social justice minority ownership kind of platform to it. It just checked so many boxes. And I know that's why a lot of clubs out there, clubs that I look up to and think, you know, specifically Asheville Soccer Club, uh, you know, shouldn't emulate, but should at least aspire to uh, what they have created. Uh, clubs such as Chattanooga Football Club, Detroit City, they they were on board with what NISA was doing. They were, um, they, they I, I know Chattanooga, there's been some debates recently about, you know, was Chattanooga dragging their feet? No, they, they had contacted NISA. NISA had contacted them. They were on board. NISA just couldn't get up and get going. So NISA to me was kind of the um, illegitimate father of kind of what you're seeing happen with NPSL Pro. So for a long, long time, I really looked towards it and was hoping for it. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I think Peter Wilt leaving – had a big impact on them. I know uh, from my co-host Brad's conversations that it pushed a lot of, you know, prospective NISA ownership groups away. And that was probably a year and a half, two years ago. 
um, when Peter left. And then, you know, it took them a little bit to get their feet back under them. And, and now that they've got sanctioning and planning to start in August, um, you know, we, we just really want to kind of roll with, you know, your reactions to what the uh, commissioner, Bob Watkins, had to say. Um, I have a feeling based on your, your intro there that you're not too impressed by the, uh, the, new, vision, <laughs> the, uh, the new vision of Fernisa. Well, let me take one step back and also say that I think in addition to Wilt leaving, I, I think in May of last year, another thing that happened was Jack Cummins passed away. And by all accounts, Jack was a, um, he, he was not just a, a partial along for the ride um, partner in this. He, he really was pushing for reform. And I think, I, I, well, that's speculation on my part. I don't know if Peter lost his kind of zeal and zest for what he was trying to do when Jack passed away. But things from when Peter left, and it also kind of surprises me that Peter left for competition, basically, that doesn't embody anything that he <laughs> listed out in that manifesto. Um, because he's now obviously at Madison, um, you know, with with a social media campaign that everybody seems to be fawning over. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, no, Mr. Watkins uh, certainly did not impress me with uh, much of his comments. I, 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 to flat out put it out, I don't understand what Nisa stands for. He said several times throughout it that he basically uh, kind of the... Uh, word salad that he threw out there a few times because you guys didn't pull any punches with your questions um he emphasized things like you know we're, we're we're not franchises we're not outlets when you become a member of nisa you're a member club um, we have lower entry fees for our members and rather than spending money on expansion we will let you spend it on your operational or academy fees um he, he definitely emphasized a social experience for the fans. I, I don't really know what that means. I know when USLD3 came in, they put, you look at Chattanooga, you look in Greenville, there's there's this like kitsch, uh, the word of the day, you know, the only professional soccer team in town. It's going to be a professional game day experience. It doesn't mean anything. You, you have to explain that. Professional is... It's it's not a noun. It's a verb. It's it's something you do, and and you have to explain it when you actually say it. Um, it, it he he threw a lot of different things out there that I, I I think he was very surprised by the way you guys conducted your interview. I don't think he I it, you know uh, what what was that basically their first like owners meeting you know, a couple months yeah. before the league is supposed to start. Yeah. Um, the first board meeting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I um, think he was caught in the kind of, you know, in between two minds, he wants to, you know, be a good ambassador for the league, but at the same time, he didn't want to give away the farm. Uh, you know, I, I honestly, I thought I saw gears turning when we started to like, when I was trying to push him to announce particular teams. Um, I kind of felt like as soon as he said San Diego, and then as soon as he said Philadelphia, he was like, okay, I have to pull back. I can't do anymore. Like, um, so I give him a little bit of credit on trying to, you know, walk that fine line of giving enough information, but not everything away. Yeah, certainly. He, he was acting as a spokesman as long as well as attempting to promote and advocate for his league. That's what a good commissioner does, of course. But 
I, I think so for, from my understanding, the timeline that has existed for them is that they applied for sanctioning back in August. They, they applied for sanctioning almost at the exact same time that USLD3 did. Now, USLD3 got their sanctioning well before the holidays, and we don't know why. Um, there, I think uh, either Perspective or Midfield Press put out an article that talked about how uh, the the federation just ran out of time to consider and i think that bit of um <laughs> massaging the truth um i i would imagine any time that a sanctioning situation happens like that they they basically said we don't want to tell you no but you need to fix your application yeah i think you know he mentioned the i was really confused and i still am about this strategy they they announced four teams and he went into saying um the plan was one per week, and then once they hit the eight, the sanctioning news should come out right after that. So I think if we actually went back and look at their Twitter feed, which won't take long because they don't have many um, <laughs> tweets out there, but I think if we went back, we could actually say, you know, these guys thought they were going to get sanctioned, you know, in this general time frame, and yeah, it got pushed. I think it got at least two full months um, delay to it. But I think, you know, you hit on something to say, like, you're not sure what NISA is. And I've heard that from other folks. Um, that's one thing that I really wanted. To, and I, I don't think he's in the position because I think every member um, team ownership group is going to have a different feel to it. But that's really one thing that fans want to know is, like, what exactly are you? You know, what is Charlotte's team going to be? What is Atlanta's team going to be? That kind of thing. And, you know wasn't the right form of it essentially for him to bring that out. So no, but he, in, in again, walking that fine line, I think he tried to have it both ways several times during the course of that conversation where he, he, he talked about that a four way cross street and you put a gas station, nobody's going to come, but then you put gas stations on all four corners and all of a sudden people start to come and he was talking about market saturation and he wants to, but that you guys kind of challenged him with the idea of why are you choosing, um, you know, soccer heavy markets that are already there, uh, the markets that are kind of saturated. And he, he, he didn't really have a good response. I think, I think what we're actually witnessing, and of course it's not incumbent upon him to admit this is that, when they started to walk back some of their, and, and we'll get to this in a second, I'm sure, when they when they started to walk back some of their revolutionary um, rhetoric, I I think to still exist, they may, may maybe they still had four or five clubs that still wanted to go on and play, and so they had to court other clubs that still wanted to have clubs but didn't want to do it the usl way they they didn't understand the idea of paying basically new rock and alpharetta to do things for them that they felt that they could do themselves um, whether that be marketing or whatever the usl model that you're paying into kind of does for you while you just sit back and operate your club and that kind of goes back to that what, what i feel like nisa is is nisa is not usl 
he he several times instead of when you guys gave him the opportunity to say what are you and instead of saying we are something different in this way he basically just said we are something different because we are not this Mm. we are not that we are not usl we are not npsl pro um and he never rolled he never kind of sanded down the edges and said well but this is what we are he, he, again, threw out those word salads and the catchphrases of, oh, it's all about the fans. It's, it's going to be about this. It's going to be about that. But it, it didn't amount to anything substantial enough that I felt like, I mean, I, I'm looking at down what notes I took and, and there's nothing. There's nothing that says Nisa is. It's just Nisa isn't, Nisa isn't, Nisa isn't. Yeah, and I think, you know, you kind of hit on it that um, they essentially have compromised what they set out to be, you know, the – the one thing that kind of I was a little bit taken aback by was this idea that they're going to be members and but they voted to share the cost so that these two West Coast teams that are flying across the country. Um, I mean, essentially, that's all we're talking about is flights because hotels are hotels. That's not going to change a whole lot. So why are we sharing cost? But you, you're banging the drum on. We're independent. Each club owns their own business essentially so i think they have bent uh they bent a little bit to get off the ground and it'll be interesting in three to five years if they have eliminated these compromises that we kind of look at them a little bit sideways about yeah that absolutely reeked of basically san diego and potentially the la club saying we we we're going to be in this first eight we're ready we're doing this and maybe they couldn't recruit anybody else. And so they basically had to mitigate that those travel costs. It, it's a very um, so, socialistic way of looking at it. Um, but then by not doing revenue sharing, which is, of course, the um, uh, choice du jour, basically, of so many American sporting um, leagues, it, it, it kind of leaves a lot to be sorted out and and tells me more that um, they they just have to exist they, they have to get up and off the ground but it also uh, his very very ambitious expansion timeline of going from goodness gracious it was like eight to ten to twelve right to 16 to 20 yeah. all within four years oh i think less than that. i think three years because i think they want to have the 10 to 12 this fall and then 16 the, the following year, and then 20 after that. So, yeah, season and, three. Yeah, and, and of course, you guys brought up the idea that potentially they could come in midseason, potentially. I, I think part of that, it also kind of goes back to that NPSL Pro first man through the door situation. I think in NPSL Pro, you're seeing a situation with the Founders Cup where um, they, they have clubs already on the bench, that maybe just needed a little bit, you know, Detroit, Cosmos, uh, Miami FC, Chattanooga, these clubs have had a 10-year ramp up. They've been able to um, build infrastructure and other other sources of revenue other than just um, game day revenue slash, you know, maybe even merchandise to, again, help mitigate costs. Whereas some of the newer clubs that are coming up, potentially Oakland or you know, Arizona, FC, Arizona, uh, 
though they may need a little bit more for founders cup but then you have clubs such as like new orleans in the npsl that are I'm just assuming they're going NPSL pro in the spring because they've dropped out of their summer amateur season. They're not involved in the founders cup. I know they're moving stadiums potentially into the minor league stadium um, of the team that's moving to Wichita maybe, but they clearly are ramping up for a, a pro move. And I know Kenny Farrell has basically said as much. And you also look again, NPSL pro the way that when um, Cal United dropped out they were able to pick up napa valley within what basically you know amounted to two weeks if that before they announced which tells me that napa had already planned on making the jump and just needed maybe a little bit of a push too and they of course were replacing cal united who i can only assume is going to nisa potentially they obviously met or they I forget the gentleman's name, but uh, one of the owners owns, goodness gracious, it's like 60 Wendy's and 40 Taco Bells. And I would imagine he certainly fits that uh, D3 PLS. How did you just turn this into an MPSO conversation? That's what I do. (laughs) Have you not been in the Slack channel that I can literally turn anything into an NPSL conversation? Um, Well, I do think, you know, the situations are similar. Oh, yeah. yeah. When I think, you know, kind of, you know, everyone wants to look down the road and say, well, where do you go from here? And it's like, I'm looking at NISA with this no entry fee. They are division three, whereas MPSL Pro is going to sanction themselves through and correct me if I'm wrong, they're going to sanction through the Amateur Soccer Association, which is not technically D1, D2, D3. It is outside of that, which has some advantages. It does have some disadvantages. But I feel like there's a, a number of clubs that are looking at NPSL and they're looking at NISA and they're going to be convinced that NISA is the better home for them just because of the D3 sanctioning. Am I crazy in thinking that? No, 100%. I even got into a Twitter argument one day with Peter Wilt about this because I was kind of insulted that he was talking about the PLS and how you know it, it gives you this advantage and that advantage. And I, I was just baffled that you know, but hey, what, you know, who is this man in October, 2017, you were attempting to build something outside the pyramid with sanctioning, but you were going to bring in unsanctioned amateur clubs to try to, um, you know, create a pro rel pyramid for people to move up and down. And, and his point, and this is true as much as I may disagree with it is the system that the ecosystem that currently exists with the, and I'll throw this term out there, the weaponized sanctioning that I believe exists creates a system of, you know, uh, pro referees. If you're sanctioned, that's what you have access to. Mm -hmm. You have, it helps with passports. It helps with um, friendlies, international friendlies. It helps with uh, even, even just visas. Um, Yeah. That's one thing that's been coming up is the international player visas, which, Yes. Will MPSL be able to get those at all? My understanding yeah. is... Oh, okay. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. There's B1 visas. There's different... There, there's going to be a different layer that you're going to have to jump through. But it just basically needs precedent. 
Um, uh, we had a player for Asheville City, actually, um, an English player who I, I spoke to just kind of off the record um, and asked him, you know, does is your agent telling you that an NPSL pro club would would meet your visa requirements? And he's saying, yes, I have no reason to doubt my agent. He's telling me, yes, it's something that we have to do because nobody's done before because of that sanctioning through the adult amateur association, which is an affiliate of the federation. So in terms of what FIFA's looking at, you know, this gentleman still has a um, international transfer certificate, um, you know, just by being within the federation, a college student, you automatically generate one of those. So when Watkins was talking about, you know, it helps with um, uh, selling players and it helps, you know, I, it, I, I feel like he was almost on the cusp of mentioning that NISA was going to become a um, developmental league that would train and then sell players. And that would kind of be its um, MO to a certain degree, that that's where it would fit in, in the in the system that it would bring players up and then sell them to USL. It would sell them to MLS. It might sell them abroad. I mean, I think I, I, I could see some, some owners looking at it that way, but some other, other, you know, other owners who are going to go the cosmos routes of trying to spend as much money as possible to win the trophy. So I think it's going to be, I don't think that's anything different than kind of any level. Um, I, I, I don't think that Nisa has any, how how are they unique in that they could develop players and sell them on? You know, MLS is able to do that. USL is able to do that. It's more of just having the funds to invest in a 16-year-old and give them a contract. I mean, San Antonio FC in the USL has done that. So what, you know, why couldn't NISA do that? I don't think there's anything that's preventing them, but I think it goes back to what, exactly what you asked him and one of the questions that I sent in kind of asking what, what, where do you go from here? Like I, I completely understand the idea of waiting on their sanctioning news to announce certain things. And, and I, I also, I, I did appreciate that he said this, it's not the league's um, it's not the league's place to announce things that the individual clubs can you know, if, you, if you're talking about a, a fan experience, let the fans hear it from the club that theoretically they're going to be tied to and they're going to be helping to raise up and promote and, you know, bally about, yay. But that still hasn't happened. They, they were sanctioned in February. Here it is halfway through March. And he, he almost acted like when he mentioned who the Charlotte owner was, it was almost like he let something out that he wasn't supposed to. (laughs) Yeah, I think so too. And and, and then he kind of rolled with it um, and then said a few things. I almost felt like he was trying to cover himself, you know, like, Oh, he's shy. It's something like this. And you guys were like, no, what? No. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) So uh, yeah, his, his comment of like, he was, um, breaking news that you know there's these things that exist called professional league standards mm-hmm. um I, I he also has that very like slow mark twain drawl to him i felt like he was drinking a mint julep the <laughs> entire time he was talking to you guys yeah put a bow on all of this um generally speaking you know they, they have their eight 
you know, they're, they're looking to have the, the deadline for that is April 15th. We probably won't hear about those teams until they get actually sanctioned. What's your general thoughts on this fall and spring of next year? Is it going to be a success? Is it going to be a lot of growing pains? Where do you see it going? I, I, I still don't think I have enough information to actually make an educated even guess at it. Um, I, I think some of the information continues to be purposely vague and, and I find that extremely frustrating. He, he talked about Providence, you know, Providence. We're going to have a team in Providence. Okay, cool. Like Providence is an actual city. <laughs> I know how many people live in Providence. Right. I know how many people live in Philadelphia. I can kind of look across the landscape and guess at those markets. But when you say things like New England right. or, or Central Florida, like, I, I, you know, Seth and Slack was joking around like, oh, that probably means Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah. And it, that really does tell you, theoretically, it could be anywhere on that 95 I-4 corridor. I mean, you, you could end up anywhere from Bradenton to Daytona Beach to Jacksonville. That's a big difference, considering if, if you're talking about this being a success or not. I I don't understand the delay in information. I, again, don't agree with the way USL does their stuff, but I don't know that they couldn't have rolled out D3 any better than they actually did. They basically rebranded it from its original announcement along with the other two divisions, the other two tiers. Um, All the different teams came out individually, but kind of did it in a unified way that wasn't like just random postcards. And then announce the club names individually. I mean, by all accounts, it's been a wonderful rollout. You're, you're putting yourself under an immense amount of pressure to go from April to May to June, July to a launch with no branding, no club ownerships being known, no team names being known, no stadiums announced. Again, is there somebody in Jacksonville that's excited about this club right now, just to find out it's two and a half hours away. Is there somebody in Boston that's excited just to find out it's, you know, in White Plains or something like that? It, it, there's just not enough information out there. And, and I don't think at the D3 level where the PLS is a thousand person stadium and there's no demographic or population requirements for your sanctioning, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's not advantageous to play things this close to your chest when the the calendar that you're fighting against is the founders cup. Who's been, again, it's a very niche market at the moment, but that's 10 clubs at the present moment, 11 clubs um, that have been building towards this for five or six months, your USL playoffs, your MLS playoffs, the start of college football, the start of the NFL, then you're butting up against the world series. And, and, And I know there's maybe no perfect, golden moment to enter you know into the sports calendar but i don't know that you could have picked a worse time with no branding and and no identity to try to say here we are what's your opinion of us yeah i think getting players is going to be a a real challenge um usl championship usl league one will still be going through september when nisa gets started nisa is either starting august or september and 
what players are they going to be able to sign is all the guys who aren't currently on Division Two, Division Three teams. Maybe some of those teams decide let's cut bait with somebody to save some money because they can go and sign with Nisa. I think that's like the best case scenario at this point. Or geographically, somebody is in uh, God pick a place. Um, somebody's in Providence where they aren't. You know, they're not willing to go to some D three team and across the country, maybe they stay in Providence, but there's going to be slim picking on players for sure. But then when USL ends October and player contracts in, you know, November, whenever they end, depending on the club, that's when they'll have their choice of players. So there's a potential that come January, February, when Nisa returns from their winter break, maybe they've made a real splash on some of the player signings. I mean, it remains to be seen, but I think there's an opportunity there. Potentially, are you getting a lot of players from San Antonio and Tampa to play in New England, Philadelphia, and Providence in the middle of January, though? <laughs> well, uh, well <laughs> if the money is right, I think they'll consider it. You know, you know the money is not uh, overly impressive at this level, except for some few studs. So, mm-hmm. you know, if it's a couple extra thousand, they'll they'll make it work. So. But all right, let's wrap it up. Can you uh, once again re- remind everyone where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, You're Smarter Than Us podcast. We cover everything Asheville soccer, uh, just kind of viewing the beautiful game through the lens of living and playing it up here in the mountains. You can email us at you're smarter than us at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at your underscore smarter. Um, lots of. Uh, good banter and uh, anti-South Carolina stuff coming from up here. And correct me if I'm wrong, the season tickets for Asheville, you essentially buy a jersey for $130, and that acts as your season ticket for the men's and women's teams? Men's and women's. Uh, we have this upcoming year, we have five home men's game uh, league, four home women's game league uh, two men's friendly, two women's friendly, and they've already scheduled a date at Memorial for the Women's WPSL Conference Championship, <laughs> which is something that's new from last year where only the winner went. And that created a weird de-escalation of like the Rapids passing on it and then somebody else passing on it. Right. Um, the cost of actually hosting it is... Uh... Y- yes, exactly. So we've already penciled that in. I love the uh, optimism. Um yeah, it's 130 bucks. You get access. You just slap it on. You walk straight through the gate, and then it acts as your season ticket. If you really, really break it down, it ends up being something uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of like $5 a game plus your $50 ticket. Gotcha. Or a $50 kit. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's a very good value. I mean, it's like 10 bucks a game or something like that. So um, I think – and Chattanooga does the same thing. I, I bought – the first time I saw Chattanooga's – price for their jersey i was like you guys crazy but then they were they were actually no this is your season ticket and i was like oh okay in that case actually that's great value so um great idea from Asheville. great idea from chattanooga i love it um so signing off for uh, tim and myself thanks for listening and remember no matter who you support let's all work together to grow the game